hey, you gotta start somewhere. That's right, this is the New England Soccer Journal podcast, and we are back. I'm your host, Jonathan Siegel, and it's great to have you all with us. Each show will be connecting with some of the region's biggest coaches, players, and names, going beyond what you already see at our website, anysoccerjournal.com, and in our print and digital magazines. But our mission remains the same, to help student athletes and their families navigate their soccer journey and cover New England's soccer landscape from youth to the pros. And for episode one, we got two guests we're really excited about. We're starting off with Kylie Standard, a head men's soccer coach at Yale, who has engineered quite the turnaround in New Haven, Connecticut. He's turned the Bulldogs from a one-win team to Ivy League champions in five years and has a top freshman class coming in next fall as they look to build off their first outright conference title since 1991. Hey, I'm just a writer. I'm not a math guy, but that sounds pretty good. And then after that, we're going into our round the pitch section. But quickly then, we're going right into our interview with Kat Barry. Kat's a senior forward at Tabor Academy. She's from Hingham, Mass, and she's long featured for NAFC in the club space. Her accolade list is pretty, pretty long, but we'll try our best to keep it short. She's earned just about every All-American honor you can win. She's a South Carolina Class of 2020 commit, and she's a recent US U20 international. Without further ado, let's get right on into it. And again, we're back. Hey, everybody. We're here with Kylie Standard, the head men's soccer coach at Yale. How are you doing, Kylie? Great, Jonathan. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, happy to be here. We'll start off with, uh, of course, it's some uncertain times. Everyone's going a little stir crazy at home. I know you got two little ones back there. So what's that been like in terms of just the, the household overall and trying to keep everybody just not going crazy? Yeah, no, it's it's definitely, I think, pros and cons with anything, of course. I think, uh, you know, the positive side of this is that I definitely get to spend a lot more time kind of being with them and seeing them grow. And it is amazing, of course, how how young infants, uh, you know, the simple things keep improving week by week. And it's kind of fun to, to see that. And, uh, we have our own home entertainment. That's, that's for sure. Um, which is, which is nice. And obviously my, my wife is here as well too. So, um, so it's been, you know, a little bit of a juggling act in, in trying to balance that and still do work at home and, and stay on top of things. Um, and then of course, you know, like anyone just taking care of the normal, home, home stuff, uh, on a daily or weekly basis. So no, it's been, it's been really awesome in that way. You know, I think, uh, I do miss some guy time hanging out with my, my assistants and, and other colleagues and all that stuff like everyone. But when it's all said and done, I'm, I'm incredibly thankful and, and grateful to, to have family to be with and, and, uh, you know, be safe and healthy and hope that everyone else is, is doing the same. And, you know, I, I, I think, you know, it's, it's funny. I, obviously there's a lot of people out there with older kids in elementary school, middle school that are having to do far more than me right now, homeschooling. And I can't, cannot imagine that. So I, uh, you know, so I applaud all of them for, for doing that for, for us. It's just, you know, keeping an eye on them basically. And, you know, while exhausting, it's, it's fun. Beyond that, your your work as coach keeps on continuing, uh, and, and part of that right now is trying to understand the ever changing college recruiting landscape, which recently 
did enter into a really drastically new phase with the Development Academy officially folding uh, late last week. U.S. soccer-led decision to be determined how that ultimately looks now as Major League Soccer steps in. And it sounds like some encouraging collaboration from others as well. Mm -hmm. Just want to hear your thoughts and perspective about really just kind of the lasting legacy and impact of the DA. Because you guys were were actively finding kids through that landscape and and talking with these clubs and, and developing close connections. What is that kind of lasting thought as the emotions have maybe turned into that next chapter now? Yeah, well, I think... You know, it, it, when anything kind of comes to an end that everyone's been used to for such a long time, uh, it's always difficult, you know, change is always hard. And um, so I think it's, uh, there's this immediate kind of impact and, and uncertainty that happens uh, with such a big decision. And I can't imagine being in the shoes of those making those decisions, because in the end, there's, you know, you can never please everyone. I can understand the perspective on, you know, the the decision that they made, I, I think, you know, from what I understand, and obviously, this is just totally my my own position, I guess, on it is, is just, you know, maybe trying to give clubs and players and parents just a little bit more of a heads up on on just thinking, uh, you know, kind of letting them know that there might be some changes down the road and, and giving everyone some time to maybe adjust a little bit more collaboratively, uh, rather than, you know, kind of scrambling and panicking and everything. But, you know, I think, you know, getting back, I think the DA developed into a a really good system. Nothing, like I said, is ever going to be perfect. I think we have an incredible challenge in this country, the size of it, the diversity, the various cultures, uh, even regionally, let alone, you know, ethnically in so many different ways. So it's really hard to tie that all together. I don't know that you're ever going to get a perfect system. And and the DA did a generally a very good job of kind of creating that that primary route for those that, uh, you know, made sense competitively, economically, regionally, you know, and, and I'd say we probably had 60 to 70% of our roster were probably from the DA. I, I think overall, the DA probably encapu- encapsulated somewhere between 70 to 80% of, of the top players in the country. Obviously, that's, you know, just my own personal, personal opinion. I think we're going to be just fine. I, I think once things settle down and, you know, you're able to get clubs back working together again, and obviously the ECNL is, is going to benefit a lot because it's, it's a very well organized, you know, kind of organization that has done a phenomenal job on, on the girls side. And so I, I think that's going to be certainly one, one key route. And then the MLS, I know, is is going to be doing some of their own kind of separate league as well. So it's it's going to be interesting. But you know, that's that's what happens as time moves on, and and everyone needs to adjust, find a way to to kind of identify even more players throughout the country when the various organizations kind of get together and hopefully on the same page. It just kind of seems to be a message of like, hey, this this world keeps on ticking. Like, like there's a lot of good players out there. They're going to find new homes and really kind of trying to hit home that, that the club environment is what matters most. And it does seem like the DA helped kind of raise the standards that a lot of these clubs now continue to foster players in regardless of whatever league they're a part of. Yeah, I, I can't agree more. I think, you know, the DA did a great job of trying to bring the highest competitive level kind of on a, not only in, on a competitive on a game basis, but a, a training basis with, you know, um, certain standards for coaching education, you know, minimum training 
time per week um, because that's that's how players are going to develop is you know with more training with good coaching and and that's what we need and I, I think we'll continue to have that it'll just look a little differently yeah and as you're doing the quick back of the napkin math on the the breakdown for Yale soccer and the DA players um, it, it got me thinking too I'm sure you probably miss seeing your guys I mean yeah. you you guys would be in the middle of a spring season or coming to a close over these next few weeks and how are you guys keeping in touch what, what has been kind of the way that you all are seeing each other's faces trying yeah. to develop a fitness routine uh, what has that entailed over these last I don't know five six weeks yeah, no, I mean, you know, as coaches, like we, of course, our passion is, uh, you know, coaching, teaching, and mentoring and, and being around our, our student athletes. And we're, we really miss that. Of course, they do as well, too. But I, I think our guys have done an incredible job. They've had a, a great mentality so far. I, I think the fact that they still have structure with, with their, you know, virtual uh, schooling right now it has really helped kind of keep structure and routine. And, and then we've, to be honest, we've kind of plugged in our time with them as close to what we were going to be, what we are doing before the spring break, which is, um, you know, during the time where this all kind of, you know, the whole pandemic took place. So our guys obviously never returned from spring break, but, you know, we are doing team calls uh, three times a week. One is more just kind of for fun, connecting, playing maybe different games. Like we've done Jeopardy a couple times, scavenger hunt, gone over some leadership material that we were, you know, had been going over prior to this happening. Uh, and then the other, we've just given our guys some ownership to actually do some own, some of their own tactical breakdown of a video and, and of some of our Ivy opponents. So just giving them something, but nothing too crazy for time because they, they, they paired up either in twos or threes and they only had to do that once, but get, you know, gives them some ownership and opportunity to kind of delve into that and, and look at things from a coach's perspective. So I think that's been really valuable for, for our guys and, and we've gotten some good face time. And then, and then lastly, like we've, my, my staff has done an awesome job you know, along with myself, obviously just, you know, whether it's text, texting, FaceTiming, Zooming with, with our guys just to stay connected, you know, so we're, we're connecting with them very frequently. Maybe they're probably sick of it, quite honestly. Uh, another part as well as you guys would have been building off an incredible season last year during this time. And you still are, although it's from afar. Yep. Um, it's not like those efforts stop right now. You guys, of course, are coming off an Ivy League title, the program's first outright one since 1991 came in your uh, fifth year as coach, you've been able to transform this program from really the bottom of the Ivy League to helping set the standard return to the NCAA tournament. What is kind of that message that you've been trying to instill and, and hit home with the group as you're gathering with a new team building towards 2020? You know, the, this time of year typically is all about, you know, trying to put that last season behind you and really use it as a, an elongated preseason and build up to to August and and it's an opportunity for that that junior current junior class that'll be rising seniors and, and I shouldn't just say them really everyone just kind of coming into new roles and and leadership responsibilities and and truly kind of taking it as as their team we had a phenomenal senior group this past year that had done a great job of, of taking it from where it was, where they were recruited from, you know, one in three win teams to, um, to ending their careers with an Ivy League championship. And so now it was about trying to build that next group of core leadership. And so we missed that to some extent, but also the flip side of that is that 
it actually creates an incredible opportunity for them to take even more ownership and, and leadership during a time where our coaching ability and contact with them is really limited. So, so we've talked about that a lot. And I think our upperclassmen kind of leadership group have done an incredible job of kind of pushing, pushing the needle forward and, and staying connected and they keep each other competitive and, and, you know, always have good banter. And we want to keep, you know, improving the program. We, we have high aspirations of, you know, eventually competing for a national championship. And so we want to keep, you know, moving onwards and upwards yeah. Is that standard or that expectation really just come down to kind of a fitness thing right now? Because I mean, let's, let's be honest, how much work can you really do on the yeah. ball when you're at home by yourself? And oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of parroting it from what you see with a lot of MLS coaches, professional staffs discussing where like, there's so much that you can't control, but at the moment you can control being in your kind of peak condition. Yeah, no, absolutely. Great point. And I think that that is really it. That is the foundation, you know, the physical part. And then of course, the the mental side of things just is staying, staying sharp, staying positive and collective as a group. So really, it's it's up to the guys. And so we provide them stuff to do. And ultimately, it's on them to do it. And And we just talk about like, they're going to know whether they're they're doing the necessary work to to stay sharp and, and build up. And we talk about you constantly building a, a base, a physical base. And, you know, so can we keep improving that so that when we get out there, when it's all clear that that we're ready to go. But yeah, that's, you know, from a technical standpoint and really playing, you know, as, as you know, I think most of the summer leagues, NPSL, USL2 are canceling or limiting their seasons drastically, you know, and, and probably not likely not to happen. So, so yeah, just doing the best that they, that they can. Uh, I, I do know there's a lot of uh, a FIFA playing on, on video games. So that's, that's the way that they're, uh, you know, virtually playing, I guess. You're a soccer guy, of course, played, been around this game for so long. So what have you been doing to kind of keep your soccer fix going? Are, are you, firing up these old streams are, are you how are you sticking around soccer yeah. right now what's what's the way you're keeping engaged with the game well i have to i have to admit i actually i'm i'm a sports junkie overall as well so like i was i was all about the last dance um last night and looking forward to finishing watching that that series but and i and i think there's so much correlation between to, between sports and so on the soccer side of things, I, I mean, luckily, I still have a lot of games recorded on the DVR from uh, whether it's Premier League or Champions League games. So I, I'm not going to lie, I've rewatched some of those just to feel like it's it's real again. And, you know, obviously, I'm constantly on social media, kind of looking at stuff and, and trying to learn. And, and my staff and I have been kind of going back and forth, talking about some various video and, and identity related things. And so, so that keeps us going just to be able to talk about the game and break it down. And, you know, the other thing that I think has been just a huge bonus during this time is, college, you know, not all college or just not just college coaches, but just coaches in general throughout the world have been, they've been doing these online webinars and virtual learning. And, you know, there was this America Scores Coaches Summit. So there's so many coaches out there that are, they're, you know, sharing their information and sharing how they do things. And, and I think that's just awesome because, you know, this is a great opportunity to take a step back and, you know, and learn and, so yeah, so that that's how I've been doing it. And I, I won't lie, I, I laced up the boots uh, a couple times and got in my backyard doing my own little juggling. Not what it used to be, but still still fun to, to get some touches. Awesome, Kyle. Well, 
Thank you very much for coming on and talking some Yale soccer. Uh, just kind of taking context of where we all are. I know there are a lot of questions out there, but we're all optimistic and confident that we'll get through this onto the other side. So wanted Absolutely. to wish you and your family well, and always great talking with you. Awesome. Really appreciate the opportunity, Jonathan. Thank you. All the best to you and, and yeah, safe and healthy to everyone out there. Thank you to all the healthcare workers and everyone on the front line. Hey everyone, if you're just discovering New England Soccer Journal now through our podcast, be sure to check us out online at nesoccerjournal.com where you'll find daily content on the New England soccer scene with in-depth coverage on preps, the youth game, college soccer, commitments, the pros, and more. Right now you can get an all-access plan which includes unlimited access to our daily website plus every issue of our print magazine delivered straight to your home, office, or dorm for only $74.99 per year. It's simple, just log on to nesoccerjournal.com and click on the subscribe button to find the subscription that's right for you and get into the game. Before returning with Cat Barry, we're heading around the pitch with three areas to track in New England soccer, and it's been a busy, busy few weeks. To start off in Development Academy news, U.S. Soccer's flagship league was officially terminated back on April 15th, not just the 2019-20 season, all of them moving forward. A lot of questions remain about what comes next. We're talking easily some 700 plus players in New England who had the kind of rug pulled out from underneath them, wondering where they go from here. One thing that's clear is that on the boys' side, Major League Soccer is stepping in to kind of form an elite pathway of sorts. Remains to be seen what other former DA clubs do, but early talk is there's strong collaboration. Everyone seems to be wanting to drive the game forward in this country. On the girls' side, there's a few less answers at the moment, although that could change in the coming days and weeks as everyone tries to find this new normal and find their footing. We'll be sure to bring you the answers and all the stories that we can at nesoccerjournal.com, so be sure to check that out. And one thing's clear, the youth landscape as we know it is drastically changing around here. Secondly, the professional scene and the semi-professional landscape continue to be totally upended by the coronavirus pandemic, specifically at summertime soccer. The NPSL and USL League 2, two college-heavy leagues, aren't going to be operating this summer, citing health concerns related to the COVID-19 virus. Their seasons have been canceled entirely, and we have in-depth stories on each decision at our website, anysoccerjournal.com. Elsewhere, Major League Soccer is pushed back through at least June 8th, and they seem to be entertaining the idea of closed-door games. But for the time being, no New England Revolution games anytime soon. USL Championship, Hartford Athletic, USL League One, Revolution 2, their seasons are suspended through at least May 10th, though I would expect that date to get pushed back significantly. Lastly, the college commit world is really the only space that hasn't been drastically impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. Yes, players aren't able to go on visits. Yes, they aren't able to do ID camps, but the commits keep on coming out. Specifically at Boston College, five local standouts in the class of 2021. A lot of them have strong prep school ties, and we have stories on each one at our website, anysoccerjournal.com. If you have any other updates for boys or girls, does not matter, division one, two, three, you can reach us at commits at anysoccerjournal.com with an email that has more information. Hey everybody, we're here with Kat Barry, a player who most of you have probably heard the name of by now. Thank you very much for coming on, Kat. We really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Obviously, we're talking during a uncertain period uh, in, in life. This is not the middle of April, getting ready for a game on the weekend type of thing. A moment of uncertainty. How have you been passing time during this period of quarantine, isolation? What's been kind of keeping you going? Yeah, it definitely is a weird, and we have a lot of time, so you kind of can move your schedule around. Um, I just started watching All American on Netflix last night, so that's my that's my new kind of development. So we'll see how that goes. My family's also been like competitively watching Jeopardy. That's like our 
kind of like tradition as we eat dinner every night because there's no sports on and that's usually all we watch so we'll like all sit and we actually like yell at the tv and like all try to like see who's the best and we like like sort of fake like crown champion every night and it's like bragging rights for the next 24 hours in my house so that's kind of our little to keep our competitive my family is super competitive so just like my brothers and I who I'm home with will like play like play jeopardy just to like see who who's the best and knows the most answers that night so that's kind of our like funny way we've been spending time to compensate for our lack of sports to um, be competitive over who's the best at jeopardy i mean obviously you're gonna say yourself no. right <laughs> no like it depends on what the categories are in a night it's funny to see like what the different things like categories that my like brothers are good at and like i'm good at because it's random it'll be like random things and it always like you never know what the categories are in a given night so i'd say it rotates a lot my older brother my dad and i are probably like the most like invested and like competitive with it so i'd say we probably trade spots as the best throughout the week um but i'd have to have to say that i'm the best just because why wouldn't i I have this chance (laughs) no exactly i'm picturing like a a whiteboard with like like a rotating cast of who's in first or adding like tallying the points but i I (laughs) would imagine maybe maybe it's not that sophisticated (laughs) but uh, another part of this you mentioned how you normally will be watching sports. I mean, I, I know you're a multi-sport athlete, so it's not just going to be soccer, I would assume, but everyone has that desire and that fix and that longing to to, to be a part of this game, to, to have some sort of exposure. There's been a lot of stuff that re-airs on, on TV. So what have you been doing to kind of get your quote-unquote soccer fix before going to South Carolina? So obviously, other than like playing and stuff and trying to do as much as I can to like physically be involved in the game, my family, we've watched like reruns of old games. We've watched a lot of the old U.S. soccer has been airing, like the games from like when Mia Hamm and Julie Fatty was playing. So my dad and my mom and I have been watching like some of those games. And then I've been watching like on YouTube, I'll just watch like different films or highlights from games. I'll go down, I'll go back and I'll cut through like my high school film or my film from my GA game, stuff like that from the national team in December. So whatever I can do to just like feel like I'm watching and doing something sort of productive. It sounds like in some ways you might be your kind of biggest critic at times. I'm definitely my biggest critic, but I think it's something that we definitely don't get enough time for. We don't devote enough time for in the youth game typically. Um, So I think that just having this time on our hands and having access to all the technology we have now, something that I feel very lucky to have. Looking ahead to this time period where you come out of your senior season at Tabor and transition into DA, you've been able to get a breakthrough with the national team as well. What was that like for you where you're in with the U20s? You're able to get that experience playing with girls who have been working just as hard as you. And then you're able to be in that environment that I'm sure is maybe not eye-opening, but just kind of reinforces all that hard work. Yeah, for sure. It was kind of a crazy experience. Uh, my first call up in December, I had just gotten back from the high school American game in Florida. And I literally was Monday morning and I had been in school for like an hour and a half maybe. And my dad texted me and was like, hey, you need to answer your phone right now, like step out of class. And I was like, that's so weird. Like, why would he ever tell me to leave class? Like, I'm like, really? And he's like, yes, right now. So I like step out of my history class and I answer the phone. And he he's like, hey, like you got called into camp, like you need to leave today. Like we have to be in Florida today. And so I literally like went back into class and I was like, uh, what do I do now? So I'm just like sitting there listening to like my PUS class, but also like getting emails, like whole thread of emails that I had to respond to about like my cleat size and my flights and when I could leave and all this stuff. So I'm like trying to coordinate that. Well, also like, shoot, I have this paper due next week for my history class. This is crazy. So that was definitely kind of like a hectic 
day. I got in at like 1.30 in the morning that night to Florida where I had just gotten back from. So it was kind of just like a crazy turn of events. But from that Monday to literally Wednesday afternoon, I had my national team. I got my first youth national team cap against France, which is just like incredible to me, like blows my mind. So I feel really fortunate. Most kids obviously don't get to you play your whole life. You never know if you'll get called into something like that, let alone most kids don't get to get their first cap literally within 48 hours of their first call up. So that was pretty amazing and an experience I'll definitely um, never forget. And it was really cool. My dad got to come down and watch, but also because it was in conjunction with the DA event, four of my high school teammates were all down there. So they got to all come and see me get my first cap as well as my entire NEFC coaching staff and all of my teammates. So that was like a really, really special kind of moment just to share that with all of them who have helped be the people to push me to get me to that level. So that was really cool. And then also for me, I think the biggest thing was getting out in that field and just proving to myself that I always knew this was something I wanted to do. And this was a level that um, other people had told me that was achievable and that I had believed was achievable, but you never really know until you kind of get your feet out on that field and you really get to test yourself playing against that competition. And I think for the biggest the biggest thing for me was proving to myself that I really could play at this level and I belonged here and I had earned this call up. And I think that was the coolest and probably most motivating thing about the whole experience because um, now that I knew a that I had earned this opportunity and that hopefully there'd be more in the future, but also that I wanted to not only be able to hang at that level, but that I wanted to be able to continue to play and dominate at that level. And I think I realized that that was kind of all within my reach. And if I kept working, that hopefully the opportunities would be there for me. So the whole experience, I so I went into camp in December and then I went into a second camp in January, both on sort of short notice, not the second one, not as much as the first, but just to play with so many players that I had heard about, so many who play at such a high level in college, you know, girls who won a national championship this year or played in the final four, just to know like those are the type of players that both I'll play against next year and get to compete against looking forward with other national team events is really amazing. So just to be able to compete, learn from really excellent players and kind of make friendships and uh, learn a lot about the game just from that standpoint was something that was really cool. What was maybe the biggest adjustment period? Yeah, you're able to find success locally, but but of course there's always that that jump up a level, no matter if we're talking about someone who just say you're an eighth grader and you progress into high school or, or you're going yeah. up a DA age group or whatever. What was that biggest technical or tactical adjustment that you noticed? I think everyone talks about the speed of play and I do think that's a big thing for sure. But the other thing I would say is just like the confidence piece of it. I think that that's something, especially like with your first camp or anything like that, when you're new to any environment, whether that be like a high school team, a new club team, or getting called into the national team, it can be really hard to kind of feel confident in your abilities and to kind of believe in yourself and trust yourself to play and take the pressure off. And I think that was the biggest thing I realized is that the girls, especially a lot lot of girls who, when you do go into national team camp, who have been there for several years. So obviously they're a little bit more comfortable. And I think for me, the biggest thing I noticed is that the people who were confident and didn't show like they, they weren't playing nervous. I think that was the biggest thing for me. And I think the second that I stopped putting so much pressure on myself, like, okay, every touch has to be like the perfect touch. And the second I was just like, all right, you've played soccer before you can do this. You know that you can hang with these girls. Just trust yourself. I think that was the biggest difference for me is just realizing to kind of remind myself to just be confident in that environment. Do you still have the jersey or do you have any like like a uh, hardware you were able to bring back with you? 
I got so many things. So they don't, you don't get to keep your, anything with the crest on it. Um, that's kind of the rule unless you gotcha. go to like a world cup or something and they do jerseys with names on them, which they don't do for typical things. But for like the Nike friendlies in December, I came home with like a backpack, like two shirts, a boot bag, sh- like sweatpants, two pairs of sneakers. Um, like literally that had like so much stuff. I actually didn't know how I was going to get it all home. And then for our second camp, I got more, a bunch more Nike gear. You get, for every time you get a cap, you get these little pennants that say what the games are. So you have like Nike friendlies and you get all your U.S. soccer name plates. So I have a couple of those too. And then when you play the other opponents, they actually give you, France and Brazil came and gave us little gifts. So I have like little France soccer jersey keychains and the Brazil soccer crest on keychains and stuff that they gave to us, which was really cool as well. I remember like youth soccer tournaments, they used to give out like little pins and you would put them on your soccer bag. I mean, you might have done that too. And I don't know if they still do that. Kind of similar to what, to what you were talking about there. When I was really little, we used to like trade patches. Yeah, that was another one. And like we'd, we'd give club patches to the other team, but they haven't done that in like years. So it was really cool. Just kind of see that experience. Plus when you're like playing France or Brazil, I think the coolest thing is like, I didn't even speak the same language as these girls, but just like that camaraderie around soccer. And then also like when you're on the field, one of the coolest things I thought is like, you can just tell, like, it doesn't matter like what language you speak or where you're from, like that emotion, the passion for the game is there. And you can kind of read that. Like you could tell when there was a call that they were mad about, like, obviously I didn't have to speak the language. You can, you can see that it's the same type of um, like love, passion for it. I mean that your French or Portuguese swear words when a ref gets a wrong call, they weren't, uh, they weren't up to, up to par. <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't have too many of those to offer, but no, I'm kidding. Um, I'm kidding, of yeah, course, exactly. but, we would have uh, never known if they, if they did. True. They could have said anything and I doubt it was nefarious, but you know what I mean? And, <laughs> and obviously much of your path has been also progressing towards something you've been waiting for in a, for a while to go down to South Carolina, to, to join a program that's competing annually for a national championship. What is that like for you now that it is so near? Yeah, obviously I'm really excited. Uh, we were planning on moving down in June. We were going to go. So we were all slated to be, my whole recruiting class was slated to be down there for the summer to take class we'd be able to do some workouts together and stuff like that. But obviously considering the situation, South Carolina has gone staying online for the summer as well. So it doesn't look like we'll be down there for the summer anymore. So there's a little uncertainty there, like you said, but otherwise we're all just doing everything we can trying to be as ready to go as ready to go as possible. But I'm just so excited. You know, this is an opportunity that I've kind of trained and played my whole life to have this is like what you talk about through a lot of high school soccer obviously with commitments being so young and so early especially when I was a freshman and that was like kind of the forefront of what we had to focus on but this is like what you dream of for so long and for so many years so for this to kind of not only when you commit obviously it sort of becomes a reality but then once you sign your NLI and now as I'm getting ready to graduate and really like planning for moving down there and getting ready to go and getting to play it's just so exciting to think about I'm I get chills thinking about you know stepping out on that field for the first time in that jersey and just how long I've waited for this and all of the work and um, all of the people who have helped me get to that point and I think that it's just a really exciting time and obviously like you said there's a little bit of uncertainty and I know just whenever that moment does come that both I'll have to be ready for it but it'll be sweet no matter when it is and hopefully it's when it's planned to be. Have you been able to pick out your number yet? 
Or I don't know, like, is, is that something you do in advance? Yeah, <laughs> I think we picked them. He asked us in the fall. So we started to think about it after when we went on our official, we got to like try uniforms on and stuff to see like sizes. So somebody had 25. So I think I'm going to be number 10. But that's the that's the plan. Yeah. <laughs> The 10 shirt, as you know, usually is like a creative midfielder, a person who's kind of playmaking. So was that just like, hey, 10 is available or was there a reason why you wanted 10? Yeah. So I've won 25 literally my whole life. So I definitely like kind of had to stop and think for a second when that wasn't available. So it, there's not a ton of like a ton of deep meaning behind it. Obviously wearing that Jersey number 10 is a great honor for whoever wears it. It's typically looked at, like you said, as kind of a lot of the like best players in the world wear that number. So that's definitely a little bit of honor and pressure with that. But to me, I like numbers that are multiples of five. I'm really like, that's, that's, that's always okay. my that's thing. Okay, and yeah. 25, uh, two times five is 10. So those were kind of like little things that I was like, all right, that makes sense. But I didn't want to go anywhere like too crazy. I thought about doing like 52 or like 50 or something. And that seemed a little bit crazy for me. So it seemed just like, it seemed like a solid choice and some good healthy pressure with it, which I kind of, I kind of like. Yeah. And anyways, like 50 is more like a, it's like a football number anyways. It's yeah, not really, yeah. it's not really a soccer number. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought about it. And then I was like, no, that's getting getting crazy and yeah I don't know if 25 were to become available for any reason it'd definitely be tempting for me um but that's probably otherwise I don't really I don't really see any situation where I mess with it too much I think you have lucky numbers for different reasons but you also create your own luck in a lot of ways and so we'll see it's a new chapter so new beginnings I guess (laughs) yeah so I have family that's been down in South Carolina for a little bit so I know a a decent amount about the kind of culture down there what's your thoughts on southern food like i mean because like brunch or breakfast it's a it's much heavier food it's much different than here yeah like what's what's that part of it like for you yeah i mean i love the south my family we've gone down there like for vacations and stuff my whole life and i've always loved it down there i'm definitely like not a big fan of grits or any of the like Uh some of that like super traditional southern food but i do love like southern barbecue like stuff like that it'll be a nice change of pace. I always said I wanted to kind of go and explore somewhere different and um, put myself out of my comfort zone a little bit for four years in college. So definitely check that box, I think. And I'm really looking forward to it. Awesome, Kat. Well, we've covered a lot of ground and it's always great to catch up with you. So just want to say thank you very much for taking the time. And let's hope you're able to get back on a soccer field soon because I know everyone's itching to get back out there. Yes, for sure. Definitely excited to get back out there. Hopefully uh, one more time with the club if we get a chance in some capacity. But yeah, whenever that is, looking forward to it. And that's a wrap. I want to thank our guests, Kat Berry and Kylie Standard, plus all of our listeners. Until next time, I'm your host, Jonathan Siegel, and you've been listening to New England Soccer Journal, a Siemens Media Podcast. <laughs>